0: This sermon is based off of Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I begin today's sermon and explanation of the text, and uh, I preach. And this is a text that's difficult. Um, It was difficult when Paul first wrote it for a Gentile audience, and it's difficult today. I don't think it ever was easy. And I'm going to do my best today to say it and teach it and preach it, the Word of God, in the most loving way that I can. Um, So let's begin. And I begin by bringing up a series of documentaries I've watched in the last few months. And I only say that because the one I just watched was more recent, and it reminded me of an earlier one. I watched documentaries about the Woodstock concert in 1969, and then later the Woodstock 1999 concert, uh, which didn't end up too good. Woodstock 69, I don't know, like it wouldn't put it past me, if did anyone here go to Woodstock 1969? Just raise your hand, don't, don't be worried, all right. Oh wait, I was born in seven. Okay, okay, You <laughs> must have went to 94. It was a confusing time, Mike. Uh, anyways, in Woodstock, 1969, it was this concert that was three days, and it was called Three Days of Peace, Love, and Music. Um, and it was put on by uh, a dying breed, it was put on by hippies. And um, hippies are interesting characters, and it, it, it was a movement, but it was a movement, and I hate to say it, it became a trend. Um, but originally, what it started as was a movement where, you know, the world is, is bad, and everything that's happening in the world, and the system structure, and everything, like, we need to redeem it with peace, love, and music. Let's have three days of peace, love, and music. And... Let me tell you, they tried to ham-fist peace, love, and music those three days, but it ended up being three days of disorder, chaos, high price food, lack of food, lack of water, lack of bathrooms, rain, mud, misery, violence, unfortunately. And these same people, these same hippies, they... 30 years later tried to do a uh, a concert with the same name Woodstock in 1999 to try and recapture the fun and the moment of 3 days in the mud with no food water hypothermia violence etc and I don't know guys like you're going to look at me like I have two heads but I'm just telling you like even I can recognize that music had changed there was no longer going to be peace, love, and music in 1999 because, with headliners like Limp Biscuit, Corn, Rage Against the Machine, DMX, it was not peace, love, and music. It was more like anger, uh, violence, rebellion, and rap rock. Um, <clears throat> so, anyways, it just goes to show, especially in the final day of Woodstock, 99, that the, what they hoped to be peace, love, and music, to change how the world was through the ideology of hippiedom and you know the ideology of these organizers, it ended up worse, this time with extreme heat, extreme food shortages, extreme water shortages, violence, sexual violence, bonfires that turned into fires and riots. It didn't work, guys. The human tradition of dumb didn't seem to work this time. And I'm sure they may try to try it again, if they can get the uh, right paper signed to do another uh, what would that be? Woodstock 2039. Eh. 2029. Anyways, The trends and waves of human ideology always, since the beginning of time, have tried to mess with and stand against the commands of God. And Jesus was sent to stand up for and to be the way, the truth, and the life that he was especially in some of these forgotten about gospel moments, say in Mark. Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees. The Pharisees come to him with a very strange thing that we really can't connect to. The, the Pharisees say, why aren't your disciples washing their hands before they eat? And we, we hear that and we say, gross, that's disgusting. What in the world? What were they doing, disciples? But you have to understand That the world back then wasn't necessarily the way that it is today. They didn't know about germs and all that, but um, so to wash your hands, as uh, many religious groups still do, wash hands, wash feet, wash face, wash hair before you enter a holy place, this had become a tradition of man. But more specifically, a tradition from this upper elite uh, teaching. Pharisee class in the temple. And so, of course, Jesus isn't going to have anything to do with that. We all know how Jesus feels about Pharisees, about Sadducees, about teachers of the law, about bad shepherds. He doesn't have time for them. And unfortunately, they keep asking him questions, trying to trick him, and get him to say the wrong thing. And Jesus doesn't say the wrong thing. Because, you see, the Pharisees not only have implemented this tradition and cemented it into the lives of believers, they had, always, they had also implemented this practice of, instead of honoring your mother and father, they started to say, honor your mother and father. You know, the easiest way you can honor your mother and father in their old age is to give that money that you would put aside to care for them. And give it to the temple. Obviously, you guys hear that and you say that's evil. We all know that we're supposed to honor our mother and father and love them to the end. Even if they don't always say the nicest things to us. Even if uh, maybe they have been negligent. You're, you're called to honor your mother and father. And so Jesus was not upset when, or sorry, Jesus was upset when the Pharisees were calling him to give this money for mother and father to the temple. And he lambasts them. He just pulls out Isaiah, because Isaiah couldn't have said it better. He pulls out today's Isaiah reading. He says, Isaiah prophesies of you hypocrites, as it's written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he summarizes it as, you leave the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of men. Not something that you want to hear from Jesus. If you think what you're doing as a tradition is honoring the Lord and good, and but if Jesus says it, it has to go. And so this begins the entire history of humanity. All of humanity is a story of leaving the commands of God and holding to the traditions of men. And since the Protestant Reformation, since all of Christianity had started, we have constantly been trying to discern what is what God would have us do, what is a tradition of man that we should get rid of, Or what's a tradition of man that it doesn't really matter if we keep doing it because, you know, it honors the Lord and, I don't know, no one's getting hurt. And that sort of thing. And so I figured since Paul goes back to the very building blocks today, I figured I would go to the very building blocks today. We begin in the beginning with Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates all things. You are part of creation. These, the flowers outside are part of creation. The grass is creation, the animals are creation, the pews and stuff, the carpet, creation. We are creation. God has created us. And this, this is why Isaiah brings it up in the Old Testament reading. He says, I don't know, Often, the creation, the clay, is saying to the creator, the potter, Potter, you don't know what you're doing. I know better than you. But it's just not true. And so we listen to what the creator says, for he created us. Genesis 1, God creates man in his own image, all people in his own image. In the image of God, he creates them male and female. He creates them. God's most beloved creation are people, and he creates them male and female. He creates them unique and different from one another, but they are equally beloved as his creation. And as we can see, male and female, he created them, and the image of God being male and female Man and woman joined together in marriage is a perfect reflection of the image of God. Moving on to Genesis chapter 2, we get a more detailed account of the creation of man and the creation of woman. God says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commands the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat it, you shall surely die. So man gets his unique role that he was created for by God. To work and to keep God's creation. And to work and to keep God's word his specific commands, his teachings, to make sure that it is kept and guarded and not to let it get distorted, that kinds of things. A very hard job. But the Lord says, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And so the Lord tries to find a suitable helper for... uh, Adam, the man, looks at all the creatures, the trees, no one suitable as a helper for Adam, for the man. And so he creates one from Adam's side. He creates a helper for Adam from Adam's own flesh. And she is the perfect helper for Adam. They love each other. Adam sacrificially loves and puts Eve first. And Eve helps Adam in his specific work of working and keeping creation and working and keeping the word of God. Unfortunately, the serpent comes to Eve, distorts the word, says, did God really say dot, dot, dot? Eve, I'm sure, says, I don't know for sure. God God told it to Adam. And I'd have to really trust and depend on Adam's leadership for that to be true. That God did say, Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so she says, What the heck? If I eat this fruit, it's food. That's what it says. You know, it's food. I can eat it. It can be food. It'll give me sustenance. And I don't know, when hurt that I have wisdom that I can discern good and evil, I'll do it. Unfortunately, that broke the command of God. And God had left behind, or not left behind, he had created this man, Adam, to specifically keep his commandments, to say, hey man, make sure that she knows, that they know, that you ought not to eat the fruit of this tree. And so, here comes the curse. We now live in a fallen creation where things aren't as good as they once were. They, they don't go the way that they ought to be. This relationship between man and woman gets confused and angry and deceitful. And sometimes there's, um, uh, you know, dudes that are controlling, women that are controlling. There are dudes that are harsh. There are women that are harsh. It gets messed up. Specifically, the curse is from God. Man is cursed. All of that work that I gave you to do that was so rewarding and awesome, you came home each day and you're just so happy, you can't wait to go to bed and then wake up and do it again. That's now toil. You're going to sweat while you do it. It'll probably be menial and you'll not feel rewarded sometimes. And that work that I gave you of keeping and leading people in my word, that's going to get confusing and weird and embarrassing. It's going to be hard. And Eve, on top of the increased pain in childbirth, was cursed with very interesting words. The Lord says, Your desire, according to your sinful nature will be contrary to your husbands, but he will still rule over you. And this sets up, I don't know, does this resonate with you guys? Does this resonate with the history of relationships that you've had, whether it be with your mom and dad, your any boyfriend or girlfriend in the past, uh, sisters, brothers, that, I mean... You see it a different way and you want it to be different and you openly disagree. You, you maybe embarrass your marriage at a restaurant when you fight in front of everybody or whatever. And sometimes the guy feels the desire and the need to overexert himself. And he becomes cruel and he becomes controlling. And it just it happens in a moment based on an animalistic, guttural, sinful, fallen instinct And that it just seems the world is so hard, so difficult, and you just can't believe it has to be like this. Well, that's fallen creation, everybody. That's where we live now. And you see, to recap, God has created man and woman, He's created man and woman together as a reflection of His image. And he has created them good, but with different roles. And both of them before him are equally beloved, but now they're equally fallen. They are equally cursed. But in his son, they will be equally redeemed. With no merit from themselves of, oh, I'm an important dude. Or I am a faithful woman. Or I am a... Jew woman, or I am a Greek woman, or a slave, or I am free. It doesn't matter before God. What matters is the equal faith before him in his sight. But here is the hard truth. This is what is so difficult. There remains the created order of creation that God has created all things in, and we find ourselves to be in and though it is blessed though it is perfectly ordered as opposed to the chaos of this world because we live in a fallen state it is hard to understand it is it does feel cruel sometimes but that is why Jesus came to redeem it Adam was created man was created by God and given the command to work and keep creation and God's word. Woman was created for the specific purpose of helping man, husbands, to do that role of working and keeping. But in the fall, what does that look like? It looks like men being sometimes uh, overbearing, stepping over the line. It looks like also men sometimes being doormats that don't exert any authority. And it looks like um, wives sometimes being doormats and letting the man do whatever and overstepping what he's called to do to keep, to teach God's word, to love sacrificially. And sometimes it looks like a wife overstepping her role, stepping into the place of the husband's headship and leadership and taking of responsibility instead of letting that space remain void, which is so often the temptation. But you guys, Jesus came into his creation. He didn't let it remain fallen. He lived a perfect life and chose and was a man as a part of his essential nature, because he was the second Adam. The first Adam messed up. The second Adam is perfect, Jesus Christ. He lived, he died, he rose for you. But the thing is, part of living the perfect life as the perfect man of Jesus, the second Adam, it included being a strong, an authoritative head to women. If you can remember, someone from the congregation pointed this out to me last week. Um, Jesus, at the wedding at Cana, when his mother Mary urged him, please, do a miracle, do a miracle, even though Jesus had not begun his ministry, Jesus says, no, I will begin when I begin. He tells the woman in adultery to go and sin no more. He doesn't stay and argue with her endlessly. He rebukes the Samaritan woman who is living in sin, and she repents. And she is freed from the evil and chaos of what she is doing. And you may ask yourself, how does Jesus get to speak on these issues of marriage? The guy never got married he remained single his whole life. What are you talking about? Well, I, I'm sure I'm not the first to tell you that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the groom. You are married. You are in the church, the bride of Christ. Jesus is practicing his headship role on you right now. You, the bride of Christ, clothed and washed in righteousness by his word. You are his helper. You are his church. Jesus Christ, in his death and his resurrection, has sacrificially loved you, the church, the bride, the way that he demands and commands all men, all husbands, to love their wives And all women, sacrificially, the way Christ did, going even to the point of death for her. He is your head, you love it, because he lives for his bride, he loves his bride, he dies for his bride, he raises his bride from the dead, he keeps his bride pure, and he loves his bride you get all of the benefits of being the bride of Christ. Paul today in the reading. Sorry, guys, this one is just going to go longer than usual. It's so important. We have to talk about it. Paul today in the reading in Ephesians 5, he points out this metaphor that all human relationships flow out of marriage flow out of the creation story, flow out of the roles of men and women. He says and sets up this system that you guys are all familiar with. You probably had it at your wedding. You probably have heard it before. The Christ is at the top. The husband submits to Christ. The wife submits to the husband. The children submit to the parents. And then in there, we have the other orderly things of workers submitting to uh, employers. We have people on the same level respecting one another out of Christian love and forgiving. We have heads leading, working, and keeping. We have helpers helping heads to do their working and their keeping of God's word and God's creation. But what does... Mean to submit? I don't want to lord it over you by talking about Greek, but in this case, guys, the Greek makes everything better. The word to submit in Greek means to find your place and to pop into it. The word submit in Greek means to snap your Lego piece into the Lego set where it ought to be and where it goes, according to the picture. Away to the way that it was designed. It separates a giant pile of Legos that you can't understand which Lego is which and which does what, because you take the individual piece out and you snap it where it ought to go and you know that piece goes there, it was created for that purpose, it does what it's supposed to be doing. I bet it feels great. Submit yourself, find your place in this order of creation and pop yourself in. Are you a head of household? Then be a head. Sacrificially love those who are sent to help you, whether you be an employer, whether you be a husband, whether you be a father, whether you be a single guy, you need to be keeping the word of the Lord that has been entrusted to you and teaching it. Because it's what the Lord demands of you. If you are a helper, if you are a wife, a mother, if you are a worker at work, if you are a child, say, you should be helping the person who has taken on all the responsibility in the relationship and where the buck stops. Help him to do his task and role. Learn from Jesus to do it. I just wanted to address finally the 800 pound gorilla in the room. When this is read at weddings, it always is. People cringe. People cringe when they hear this reading. I'm telling you, it's not making you cringe because it is outdated or wrong or because Paul was a misogynist and he used the Bible to cement into human the human history you know like this divine conspiracy to keep women in control and stuff no this is making you cringe because it is the word of the lord and we know that the word of the lord is a sharp two-edged sword that pierces the hardest of hearts the rockiest of soil it cuts through bone sinew and slices it in two it cuts right through what society might teach you. It cuts right through any sort of 60s feminist ideology that spawned Woodstock 69 or, you know, failed Woodstock 99. It cuts through any sort of teaching you're hearing from popular media. It cuts through any sort of thing you're learning in school because it remains true and has remained true from creation. It is God's word, God's will. God's plan. It is all chaff, all this ideology that is the tradition of man, it is all chaff that will be burned on the last day. And I think that can and will give you guys a lot of peace. All of that confusion and worry and hatred and anger that is injected into what is beautiful is what is making you sad, angry, and depressed. You see, when the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ, who came and died and rose again for his beloved bride, which you are, when that is removed from the system and this process, that is what makes it a, a hell-in-a-handbag, chaotic, and evil and abusive system of relationship. That is what makes it happen. Because, you guys, the sacrificial love is what is keeping this from being a power grab, a zero-sum game. It is not a power game. It is not a slave-master relationship. It is God's plan for man and woman that are created beautifully and before God equally beloved to do their specific tasks and roles that they were created for that God's word would be kept and guarded from any sort of human tradition that would distort it and that that would be passed on to each generation and that the household would work and through the household working, society work, the church works, the civil realm works because of successful God-honoring relationships between men and women. And I just want to offer to you the peace that God's commands can give to you. If you are a man, step up, step into your role, and please keep and guard God's word and keep and guard God's creation. Keep and guard your wife. Keep and guard your girlfriend. Keep in guard your grandchildren, your children. Keep in guard those entrusted to your care. And women, please, you do not need to uh, feel the need to step into that place if you see it. No one there. If you see a void with no one stepping up to take the responsibility. The Lord God is giving you the peace of not needing to step into that that headship role, because the buck stops with the husband. Let's return to the image of Jesus Christ. Let's finish off with that. We live as redeemed Christians. We believe in Jesus Christ. and because we believe in Jesus Christ, we are baptized into Him, we were washed. As his bride, we are his bride, the church. He has sacrificially loved us. And in God's presence, in the Father's presence, through faith, we are neither male nor female, neither slave nor free, neither Jew nor Greek. We are equally beloved, equally fallen, and then equally redeemed by Jesus Christ. But in this world that we live in today... There's no arguing about it. There exists a living chain of creation where people pop in and people pop out. And when we act according to the head role that we were given or act according to the helper role that we were given, the pain and the agony of acting out of place is taken away from us by Jesus because he has redeemed it. We as Christians can act and work in these roles without torment, without there, being, um, uh, without there being overburdeningness, without there being the opportunity to be a doormat. Just either be a head or be a helper. Just do it. The kingdom of God is ruled by God, by God the Father, the King, by his Son, the Prince Jesus, who became King Jesus through his life and death on the cross and his His ascension into heaven after his resurrection. When you get to heaven, what we are explicitly told is that we will be ruled over by King Jesus. And when we are ruled over by King Jesus... It will not be something that is overburdening. It will not be something that is too much to bear. Jesus will not be a doormat for us to walk all over and to disagree with what he tells us, because we will perfectly love him as his beloved bride, and he will perfectly love us as he has perfectly loved us through his sacrificial love, his death death and resurrection on the cross for you. And that is what we have. He has died and rose for you. Perfect sacrificial love. He has shown us how to honor and glorify God in being redeemed, to hear his word and to keep it, and to help those who are left behind specific men, pastors, in keeping, proclaiming, and sharing that word, in helping the men that were left behind to guide in relationships, to lead, and to fearlessly, self-sacrificially lead, to guard, to keep creation, to guard, to keep God's word.